Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding If you want to follow along in one of the blue pew Bibles, they can be found on page 957. And I will read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. Encourage you to read along. I'll read if you'd like to read silently. I encourage you to hear. But I also urge you to listen to the word of the Lord. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and twenty-three thousand fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. The word of the Lord. Let us go to God together and pray and ask his blessing upon this time. Lord, we come to you asking for you to bless us with your word. We pray that your word will have its good effect in our lives. And Lord, that we will see the gravity of the warfare that we are in. And we will not toy with sin in our lives. We will not be complacent in different people in regard to temptation and sin. Bless us, Lord, that we will manifest truly that we have been and are being set free from sin. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
when you uh, hear the word temptation, we're going to consider here in verse 13. Uh, For most of us, uh, as I've talked to many, many people over the years, temptation makes us realize how constantly we face it and how many ways it comes at us. There's, in our day, the temptation of just the sheer temptation of being entertained in every way with music or the internet or sports, TV, movies, to the degree that we begin to neglect our own responsibilities and in even relationship because we're so immersed in this world that's all around us. And we, we talk about that, how, boy, we didn't have this or this or this when we were kids, and look at what the kids... And, of course, uh, they'll have 18 different things plugged up, you know, and you think, what's going on and, and where is relationship and that kind of thing. We get so busy, uh, we can be tempted by the sheer... Uh, Uh, extent of things that we have to do that we never stop to consider our lives. We never stop to consider where we're going, uh, what we're living for. Uh, we, We can be tempted because of so many things that need changing in our lives that we just get paralyzed to even start somewhere. We just continue on and continue on. And you look back over the past month or year and you think, am I any different than I was a year ago? And somewhere I've succumbed to the temptation of just getting through another day and another day and another day and another day. And I'm not really changing. I'm not really working on the core issues of my life. Temptation comes at us in such subtle ways. Uh, When tragedy strikes, difficulties, earth-shattering things that we never dreamed would happen to us, we're tempted to doubt the goodness of God. We're tempted to say... The promises don't mean anything to me. I can't grab hold of them and just to give up. We're tempted uh, not to pray. We're tempted not to read the Word. We're tempted not to be involved with the people of God. We're tempted not to be involved in the mission of Christ in this world. We're tempted... By temptation upon temptation, temptation within temptation. When bad things happen to us, there's temptation. When good things happen to us, there's temptation to become complacent and to depend on ourselves. I think of uh, Charlie Brown. He and Linus are sitting against the fence and they're both kind of looking into the distance, you know, thinking. And Linus says, life sure is difficult, isn't it, Charlie Brown? And then next frame, they're walking. He says, boy, it sure is. Next frame, they're sitting by the wall, you know, where so much philosophy is spilled out. And Charlie Brown says, but I've developed a new philosophy. What is it? From now on, I'm only going to dread one day at a time. (laughs) All the dread that lays before me, I'm going to cut it down to size. (laughs) I'm just going to dread one. And, of course, you could cut that down and say, you know, I'm just going to dread the next hour. Nothing more, just the next hour. Well, life can seem that way, and and the prospect of change can seem so debilitating, so uh, fruitless. We can just give up. And certainly, in this passage, one of the uh, most dangerous, in fact, the central temptation here is just to be complacent, even to the point that we think, 
I'm, I belong to Christ. That's good enough. I'm just going to coast from now on. And that, as Paul will point out, is the most dangerous thing that could happen to us. If you don't sense that you are in the war to fight to win, then Paul would say to you, you are in the ultimate danger. If the Christian life is not that serious to you, a warfare, a race that you are fighting to win, then Paul would say, you are in danger of the most tragic loss imaginable. That's probably one of the greatest temptations in modern America, in Christian America. Once saved, always saved, or being secure can translate into, therefore, I don't have that much to worry about anymore. And of course, in the sense of being saved or in the sense of being accepted by God, true. But if that somehow translates into a life in which I don't have to put out effort and I don't want to put out effort and I don't want to ultimately think about it, then we're in a serious, serious condition, Paul would say. So the first thing is, as we talk about this issue, and we're going to define what I mean by temptation that is common to man, this phrase, no temptation that is, uh, has overtaken you that is not common to man. Or literally, uh, anthropos means it's human. You know, no temptation is overtaking you that is just human. And we want to get at what that means. But the first thing that we want to point out, and, and again, uh, chapter 10, verse 13, was one of those verses way back in college that I memorized in the Navigator memorization pack, you know, on temptation. But it was years after that before I ever knew, well, what's the context of this verse? What, what's being said? And it, it really rattled my cage when I began to understand the context in which Paul says this. Um, I want to back up a little bit before uh, what Robert read this morning, and I hope that you'll have your Bibles open to look at this with me in chapter 9, a very famous portion uh, where Paul talks about running uh, to win the prize. And the first point I want to make is that temptation means an all-out war on our part. It's an all-out war. And this isn't for super Christians. This isn't just for apostles. It's for Christians. Are you in or are you not? Okay? Are you in for the war or are you not? Because that's what it is. That's what the Christian life is. All out war. And Paul is dealing with uh, the Corinthians and who there's a huge portion of the Corinthians that believe that they've kind of arrived. It's what some people would call a realized eschatology. That's a big word to mean that they have had a, a spiritual uh, experience and renewal that renders them kind of invulnerable. You know, it's, it's almost as though they're living in the new heavens and the new earth before they get there. And it's in the phrase of a well-known rapper in the past, you can't touch this, Right. Uh, you can't really affect me one way or another. In fact, sin can't really affect me one way or another. That's why back in chapter 6, he talks about uh, the, the person who lies with the prostitute. And you think, who could be imagining that that's okay? 
But in their uh, Greek way of thinking, what you do with your body really doesn't matter. Our spirit belongs to Jesus. Our spirits already are there in heaven, raised with him at the right hand of God. What happens to my body really doesn't matter. I mean, it was translating into open immorality. That's one of the reasons he talks about immorality in this passage. And the particular thing he's talking about in chapter 8 and following is that they were going to pagan uh, rituals, pagan worship, and there were meals that followed and all this kind of thing. Well, they were going to these things thinking, well, look, an idol's nothing. They're nothing. The idols aren't real, so it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. And maybe also thinking, plus, I don't want to fall in bad with my neighbors who go to this as part of society. What's it going to hurt anyway? And they were actually there at pagan rituals. And Paul goes on later to say, look, anything that's offered to an idol that doesn't exist really is offered up to demons. And you're participating in demonic things there. But you see where their thinking was that they, and and it may happen in any way to any one of us, of thinking that uh, I really don't have to concern myself with the rigors of the Christian life anymore. I'm, I'm there. And as I say in uh, modern America, many times uh, I've talked with people who their Christian life, well, it's not really a Christian life. They hardly are doing anything that would look like a Christian. They don't really go to worship. They don't love the Bible. They don't pray. They're not with the people of God. They're not engaged in the mission of Christ. Nothing. And yet they'd say, oh, when I was 12 years old, I went down front. I know I'm going to heaven. Or I've heard people say this. Me and God have a little thing going. Oh, really? Me and the man upstairs have a little agreement about going to church. I've heard somebody say that. So, which meant, of course, the agreement is you don't have to go, was the agreement. But whatever it may be, whatever thinking has gotten any of us to the point to say... It is not a war, and I don't have to be engaged in the war. It is dangerous thinking. Because here is Paul, verse 24. He's talked quite a bit about the commitment that he himself has made as a preacher of the gospel. And this is kind of the climax of what he says in chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And, of course, we all think of Michael Phelps, right? You know, in his training, he has definitely trained. And they talk about the rigors of his training in addition to his natural physical gifts. And, of course, he's worked in such a way to win the prize. Eight gold medals, so to speak, uh, 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 in fact. So he, he's emphasizing, though, that, that rigor, that training, that extra that takes to win the prize And notice he doesn't say, make sure you're in the race at least. Could be the application. Make sure you're at least, don't be sitting in the stands, at least be on the track. That's not what he says. He says, run so that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable 
So I, here's the Apostle Paul, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. And many have pointed out, literally, I beat it till it's black and blue. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul, speaking to these people that are so cavalier about their Christian life, so careless about what they do, he says... I, the Apostle Paul, I take the greatest care to live out my Christian life lest sin and temptation might so take hold of me and draw me away from Christ. That's the way Paul looked at temptation. He didn't look at it as a careless thing. It doesn't matter if I fight it or not. It doesn't matter if I give in to it or not. He knew that the ultimate goal of temptation was to draw him completely away from Christ. And he said, I run, I box, I discipline so that after I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. And then the passage that we read this morning The first part of this all-out war is Paul's effort. The second part of the all-out war is indicated by sin's effort against us. See, Paul gives us the idea of what the Christian life is. It's an all-out war. And then he shows us, and this is what happens when we don't have an all-out war. And he gives us the example of Israel. And he tries to draw the the analogy so close to the people that he's speaking to by saying, hey, you say you're baptized? And some of them kind of had a magical view almost of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They say, hey, we participate in the sacraments. We participate in the Lord's Supper. We've been baptized. Nothing can touch us. Nothing can happen to us. And so Paul says, okay, let's talk about Israel. They were baptized in a fashion into Moses, they weren't immersed, they were sprinkled. Uh, no, I'm just kidding about that. In other words, they weren't immersed in the Red Sea, they were only sprinkled. That would have been bad if they'd been immersed. But um, <clears throat> that's just a bad joke. Um, but uh, he says, all were baptized into Moses. And then he even has an analogy about the Lord's Supper. He said they all ate the same spiritual food. The manna represented the, the spiritual dependence that they had upon God. And even speak of the, the water that they drank coming from a spiritual rock, which was Christ. And so he says the analogy is very close. They participated in the life of God. They participated in the community. They tasted of Christ and were in his presence. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Now, what would be the point to them? Do you think that it couldn't happen to you? Do you think that if you do the same things they did, if you have the same complacency they did, if you involve yourself in idolatry and immorality, that you will not be cast off by the judgment of God? Do you think that you're somehow protected? And of course he says, verse 6, these things took place as examples to us so that we might not desire evil as they did. And the indication is, and end up as they did. And as Brian Chapel writing on this uh, verse says, it's, it's like a, a Salvador Dali 
painting, you know, where very depressing and everything scattered and their bodies everywhere. And he says, that's what he describes here, bodies everywhere in the desert, strung with, with, with bodies that died in the desert. And most commentators think that when he mentions idolatry and immorality and uh, putting Christ to the test, you see, tempting God by putting yourself in situations where you never should be there to start with. You should never uh, be listening, watching, being involved in these things, but you're just walking up to sin and practically rubbing your face in it. And then he says, nor grumble, and apparently many of them were grumbling even against Paul's uh, apostleship. But they were destroyed by the story, he says. So these, these several things are probably things that Paul's speaking now to the Corinthians about their own sinful uh, problems and temptations. And notice how he says in verse 11, again, if you didn't get it already in verse 6, these things took place as examples. Verse 11, these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. These things occurred and then God is using them and written them, has written them down so that we might not fall into the same sin. <clears throat> so he says in verse 12, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, that's the point Paul is making from, don't you know how I myself as an apostle run with all I've got to win the prize? Don't do anything less. Look what happened to Israel as they were careless and cavalier and immersed themselves in sin and they died in the wilderness. If you think that you stand, if you think that you're invulnerable, if you're just coasting and you don't think anything's going to happen, take heed lest you fall. And it doesn't just mean... If, if in a given day you're careless and you might sin, he's talking about the ultimate goal of sin and temptation. It's your destruction. It's your destruction. And that's our problem, is we play with it as though we're not in a battle and we're not in a warfare. And I'm not talking about winning heaven in the sense that you'll be good enough to earn God's favor. I'm talking about having gotten God's favor through nothing of yourself, having fallen helplessly before him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm helpless, I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm corrupt. Save me and rescue me. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Die for my sins. Yes, I trust in you and I trust in you to change me. So it's nothing that we bring to the table to be saved. But having done that, having embraced this Lord Jesus then how can we say that we trust Him and look to Him and don't care to be like Him and don't care about the sin that put Him on the cross? And we're going to be casual about our sin now. He didn't save us so that now you can be casual about it. Now you don't have to think about sin anymore. Paul says, if anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. And I think that this is the interpretation then for verse 13. No temptation right on the heels of, uh, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Which brings us to our second point. This war, this temptation that leads to war is common to all. No temptation has overtaken you that is not human, that is not common to man. 
You are not, Corinthians, protected against this common warfare in which this temptation will drag you to hell, literally, if you don't watch what you're doing. All temptation that comes to you is the common temptation that drags, particularly the Israelites, into judgment. Don't think that you're any different from them. Don't think you're isolated and you're in a, in a different situation than them. This temptation that has overtaken you is the kind of temptation that overtook them and it destroyed them. So take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. You are the same as them. You face the same danger as them. And you are not protected so that you can live as you want. And so temptation in this context is the temptation that wants your death. If I could make anything clear to you, it's to realize the enemy, Satan himself, and all that he brings against me, it's not just to trip me up a little bit. There was a, an irritating section of a book I read one time in which there was a a lot of talk about spiritual warfare and um, this guy, I hardly even want to say it, but he, was taught, he, he rebuked Satan, okay? He rebuked Satan who was uh, governing this person and, and here this big demon was on the side of a mountain and felt a little prick in his back, you know, because he got rebuked. And I thought, that isn't what's going on here. You know, getting little pinpricks in your back and that kind of stuff. It's life and death. I mean, the issues are life and death here. And he is out to bring us down. And that's one of the problems that we don't understand the seriousness of sin and where sin wants to go. As I heard a Baptist minister years ago, he said, if pride had its way, it would literally rip God off the throne and put ourselves there if it could have its way. That's what it wants. We're all too cavalier in regard to sin. I love that scene after the first, I think it was the first round, it might have been the first couple of rounds of uh, the first Rocky film. We're all tired of the, what is it, the 18th, I forget how many. Um, <clears throat> but um, in the first Rocky film, Apollo Creed, of course, he picks Rocky, thinks this will be an easy thing, I can get a lot of publicity, this will be so much fun. And he goes in the ring and he's just toying with Rocky and he doesn't care anything about it. He knows he can put him down anytime he just chooses to. And then suddenly the thing turns into a real fight and the next round's tough. And, and finally his, his manager pulls him over and says, this guy thinks it's a fight. You know, <laughs> he doesn't know this is a joke. <laughs> He doesn't know you're just playing around. He thinks this is for real. And I really think that we, we don't think this is a real fight. We don't think sin is real. We don't think Satan's really out to, to consume us and kill us and drag us away from our precious Lord Jesus. You think by the way we kind of pat at sin. Can you imagine... The difference in your reaction to finding a shark in the water with you or, or, or a brim, you know. And I sometimes think we, myself included, I think these are little brims swimming around. It doesn't matter what I do. 
And you understand, I'm not talking about um, the, the fact that we're going to win God's favor. That's, that's not the point. The point is, when Jesus saves His people, His people show this salvation. Not perfectly. It's progressive, for sure. And there's failure, yes. But we show our salvation. There is no one in the stands in this warfare. There is no one back off the front lines. We are all on the front lines. And temptation will do to us what it did to these Israelites if we don't hear Paul when he says, if anybody thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews toward the back of the Bible? Hebrews chapter 3. And if you want to take the Pew Bible, you don't have your own Bible, you can uh, find that toward the back. In fact, the specific page is page 1002. Now, this is interesting because in Hebrews, he's dealing with people who are being tempted to turn away from God, specifically apostatizing, leaving the faith. And again, he gives the example of the Israelites in chapter 3. Verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. So the same kind of example is being put before us. And notice what he says then in response to that. As he spoke about their judgment, verse 11, they shall not enter my rest. In other words, they're going to die in the wilderness because they've turned away from me. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's speaking to believers, saying it could happen to any one of you. Take care that you don't have an evil. And notice, unbelieving heart. That's what happens is the things of Christ start to fade from view. They're not precious to us anymore. We don't really care to hear about Jesus. We don't care to pray to Him. His Word means nothing to us anymore. Worship is just kind of so-so to us, not necessarily because the worship itself is because the kind of heart we bring to worship. We don't believe in the goodness of God. We don't taste the goodness of God. And so our, our, our heart turns away from Him. And notice verse 13, exhort one another every day. That's the need to hold each other, to be accountable to each other, to be involved in each other's lives as long as it is called today, to underscore all the time so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what sin does in its deceitfulness. The first thing is you don't really care. You don't have a zeal. You don't really care about the lost. You don't really care about the Word. You don't really care if you go to worship or not. You just don't care. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Their temptation has taken us and we hardly even know it. We hardly even know it. And so in the very same context, um, the same illustration, we are warned 
against taking sin lightly. We're warned about not being involved in each other's lives, almost watching each other. I, I think of, of, of lepers. Uh, I read a book about a man, and he, he, he talked about how he had to watch his leprosy. And, and he had a, uh, this, this examination that he was always involved in, the examination of his extremities, because in leprosy you can't feel anything in your hands and your feet. And so he constantly had, it was the survey, the visual surveillance of extremities, VSEs. And he's talking about, he's always given himself VSEs, visual surveillance of the extremities, to make sure he hasn't burned himself because he wouldn't know otherwise, or to make sure he hadn't cut his finger off because he wouldn't know otherwise. And what Paul is calling us to in, in Hebrews 3 is, in a sense, the spiritual visual surveillance of one another's hearts, watching one another and keeping up with one another and checking on one another and confessing our sins to one another, keeping each other involved, lest any one of us should be deceived and our hearts turn hard. Does that sound casual to you? Or does it sound like we're at war? We're at war. Well, it's an all-out war. The war is common to all. But how wonderful this last point, and we end with it, our Lord and Savior has entered the battle. Our Lord and Savior has entered the battle. As you're there in Hebrews, in chapter 3, back up just a chapter, and notice verse 9. We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And it says in verse 14, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. To deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the glorious thing that I want to leave you with is that our Lord Jesus has entered in the midst of this battle against sin. And as we read in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan himself had special tactical forces, you might say, brought against Jesus. In fact, you might say the whole uh, of his power was brought to bear against Jesus. And Jesus is pictured there really as the new Israel. That's why he's taken out into the wilderness for 40 days, comparable to the 40 years of Israel. And so where Israel failed and did not trust God and turned away from God, here Jesus as he quotes the very passages in Deuteronomy that have to do with the, uh, the, the wilderness trial. He's quoting those very verses to, to declare in a sense, I am the true son and I give myself up to my father and I trust him and I will obey him for my people. How glorious is that? So in the first place, he has obeyed God for us and he never failed in the war and he has won the war. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated sin. In Romans 6, it talks about how sin was crushed through his death. He died to that world of sin and he lives to a new life so that we 
trusting in Him, might die to the old life of sin and live a new life in Him so that we would experience resurrection through Jesus Christ. He is the faithful Son, and so He's able to say at the end of this chapter, in verse 17, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because He Himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So you have a covering because He has suffered for all of your failures. You can throw yourself into the warfare. You will not do it perfectly, but progressively you will become more like Christ. And in the midst of it, there's a propitiation for your sins. That's the Christian life. You live in freedom. You live in the acceptance, the glory of having the favor of God on you because Jesus has died for your sins. But then you give yourself to the same warfare. And He, the one at the right hand of God, has entered into it. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to suffer when you're tempted. And He's able to help you, particularly in your temptation, whatever it is. And the end of chapter 4, the same kind of idea. Where he says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so, in the very uh, words that we sang I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. But you see, living in His acceptance, knowing His presence and His fellowship and His power to change your life, yes, we, we can only be broken and contrite before Him. We are struggling, sometimes failing miserably like David and Peter did. Even after the resurrection, Peter fell miserably. And yet, the thing that we must not give into is lukewarmness. We don't have time to turn there, but in Revelation 3, he says, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out. And he says, because you think that you're fine and you're strong and you got it all together and you don't know that you're miserable. You see, it's that sense of complacency, that sense of I'm just going to coast down the river. I'm not going to paddle anymore. I'm not going to give myself to the things of Christ. And what's glorious about His salvation, brothers and sisters, is He saves you from complacency. He saves you. You can confess that to Him. Because it says in Titus 2, He died so that we'd be zealous for doing good. That's part of His salvation. So at least begin there and say, Lord, I don't feel anything anymore. You don't delight me, Lord. I don't trust Your promises. You don't seem real to me. We'll start there. But don't be satisfied with anything less than a growing engagement in the things of Christ. Let him who thinks he stands and stands and he's invulnerable, he's complacent and it doesn't matter, take heed lest he fall. Let us pray. Oh Lord, may we return to you. May we return and confess our sin. And, and for many of us, perhaps beginning with the fact that, Lord, I, 
The word means so little to me. Prayer means so little to me. The singing of hymns, the memorization of the word, the things of Christ mean so little to me. Lord, your mission in this world means so little to me. Oh, Lord, help us to see the deceitfulness of sin just to make us casual. Help us see, Lord, that that, that spiritual leprosy that can set in when we don't feel and we don't care that we feel and we just continue to drift and year after year we're about the same we were. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us, we pray, that so that, you, that, that your salvation will so be applied to our hearts that we will live as Paul does. And we could truly say with some degree of sincerity, I discipline myself. I don't box the air. I run to win. Lord, may we fight against our sin. May we be serious about the things of Christ. Lord, may we see especially the danger of temptation. May we see that the enemy is out to destroy us. And he is called the destroyer. Oh, bless us, Lord, that we may be like our Lord Jesus, who was passionate, zealous, gave himself so freely to others and to his Father's will, and walked in perfect joy. Oh, Lord, give us that joy. Thank you that we can walk accepted in Jesus Christ who sets us free to fight the warfare. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light. Come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away Then shall my soul with rapture trace The wonders of